is another episode of Connecting the Dots. And this is Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hi, everybody. I'm HF Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Union County. And hello, everybody. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, today we are so honored and privileged to have one of our very own Jason Little, president and chief executive officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me, Skip. I'm glad to be here. Well, let me kick us off and uh, about we want to focus on one principle. And as you and most people in Baptist know, the principle of empathy makes up our Baptist cares. And then also our 11 guiding principles that make up the Baptist management system. Empathy is also in that. And I know that in my seven years at Baptist, I have consistently heard you uh, speak about the principle of empathy. So let me kick us off by saying, why is that principle so important to you? Well, Skip, I, I think it's important to all of us in healthcare um, for the reasons that we, you know, we got into this business in the first place. Uh, there's a quote that I like by Henry David Thoreau, where he says, could a greater miracle take place than for us to look through each other's eyes for just an instant? And you know we're we're in the we're in the healing business we're in the miracle business in, in a number of respects and so you know developing that insight that comes from walking a mile in someone else's shoes so that we can best care for them not necessarily in all the ways that we think they need care but really in the ways that they feel like they need the care the most uh, is essential to delivering the product at just the right time so I, I think it's really a, a crucial uh, principle for all of us uh, in this industry. This has been a weird year, you know, with with COVID and the, and the pandemic. And, you know, how, how have you seen empathy in the hospitals as you as you go visit and you walk around and, and you know, being the CEO of a huge healthcare organization with how many employees? Twenty two thousand. And I mean, it's incredible that that during this whole pandemic, we have had zero uh, uh, involuntary furloughs, and, and that's just incredible. And I, I'd just like to get your thoughts on, on what you're seeing day to day as you're making your rounds. Well, I, you know, I, I think, honestly, Dr. Mason, one of the things I've seen is that this pandemic has helped us uh, be better at the principle of empathy um, because, you know, in, in order for me to deliver an empathetic response, it, it's a vulnerable response. Because in order for me to connect better with you, I really have to connect with something inside myself first. And, and so during a pandemic, when everybody's feeling so many different things and everybody's struggling, uh, I, I think we've been more in tune uh, with what an empathetic response looks like and what kind of intrinsically it takes to deliver it. I, you know, I, I think about you know, each one of our families and all that we've been kind of struggling with and the change that's been involved. Uh, um, you know, I, I described it one time, you know, there, there's the old, you know, phrase when when life gives you lemons. And and there's kind of three responses to that. You know, if you if you go with me in the analogy here, uh, when life gives you lemons, there's there's the optimistic response. We'll make lemonade. There's the pessimistic response. It's well, when life gives you lemons, my cousin's friend died of lemons, you know, and then there's the empathetic response. When life gives you lemons, how can I help you squeeze? And, and I, I think I, I think 
you know, really, this empathy is not just about positive, negative. It's not about compassion. It's about really, um, again, developing that insight and uh, just trying to to uh, to get inside how somebody else is feeling. And I, I think the pandemic's really been a good opportunity for that. I think it's brought out the uh, the best in a lot of us. And as a CEO, I would like to get your thoughts on what not not only in in healthcare but in in all industries. It seems like employee engagement uh, and empathy. It seems like in regards to that, there's been this big paradigm shift. And and you know, I read a book called Firms of Endearment, and it's it's uh, you know they talk about companies like Toyota, Starbucks, Patagonia. Ikea and Trader Joe's and and they fought and, and these companies really focus on on team leader engagement. They focus on empathy and, and they followed these these businesses for 10 years and, and they had an ROI of maybe 1200 percent compared to maybe 120 uh, percent with the, with the S&P. And, and what what do you think is is driving that that paradigm shift and, and, and how do how do we connect that with in healthcare with with the quality of care that, that we give? Well, I think there's several reasons. I, I, you know that that old adage of people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. As as not for profit kind of mission oriented organizations, we used to think we had a monopoly on that, and it was that was only relevant to our employees as we sought to manage them. But I. I think for-profit companies and and uh, you know the ones that you just mentioned and many many others recognize that um, you know we've kind of had a a uh, a shift in our culture as we have you know millennials and we have Generation Z and all these other folks you know coming up who want something different uh, than our parents and our grandparents wanted uh, out of our company. They're not particularly looking maybe to stay somewhere for forty and fifty years, but they are looking. Uh, to connect and and feel a sense of of giving back to their communities and other kinds of things with wherever they're going to hang their shingle for the moment. And so, you know, developing that kind of connection uh, with with employees now has become kind of the holy grail, I think, for many uh, out there in the business environment. And and why? Because, I you know, I think it works. I mean, I, I think, you know, we're only going to be able to really uh, do a great job delivering care to our patients if we do a great job really taking care of and connecting to our team members, um, empathizing with them so they can empathize with uh, with our patients. And and, you know, hopefully with our engagement survey results that we've had most recently, it's a it's a good barometer of how we're doing at that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when I was you know, thinking about the topic for today, I was reflecting a little bit on my own journey with with empathy over the years. And uh, earlier episodes, we've we've talked a lot about medical education and training, and maybe some of the issues that come with it. When um, I was thinking through my my journey, you know, through medical education, uh, particularly around empathy, and I remember being a third year student and having my first patient die, and understanding my how I felt about that patient, um, and you know. I've had many more patients die since then, but I still remember that patient now because that was kind of my first uh, brush with it, if you will. Um, then I remember as a second year resident having a patient uh, my age, same uh, patient was my own age who was on the heart transplant list um, because he had gotten an infection on in his heart, um, you know, myocarditis. 
and who didn't make it. And then I remember thinking about how that really affected me at that time. And then my third year, my last year of uh, residency training, I, I was on the ICU and I was a senior level resident on that team. And one of my interns had a patient die. And I remember watching her reaction about how emotional she got and realized that I, I wasn't having that same reaction, that same empathetic response that I had had kind of earlier in my career when I'd had uh, some of those other interactions that affected me a little bit more. And I, it got me thinking, you know, had something changed within me, um, you know, had I lost my ability to empathize? Um, and, you know, maybe that's how, maybe that's a little bit of medical education and medical training to, uh, it does that a little bit to us. It, it you know, you, you have to separate uh, some things in order to keep going and see that next patient. Um, but at the same time, I understand how important the principle is and how important it is to maintain that, that ability to, to empathize. And so since this is a continuous improvement podcast, uh, um, I was wanting to get your thoughts on, on how our medical providers, our medical staff, or anybody out there can improve their ability to empathize. Yeah, wow, that's a it's it's a great uh, story that you related there, and a super question. I mean, I, I I've got a couple thoughts that are coming to mind here. Uh, one is, you know, I think all of us that work for Baptist get to say that we're in the the business of taking care of patients. However, you know, I'd be quick to point out that um, you know I'm just kind of the dumb business guy. I, I, I'm not. Uh, a clinical physician like you, but I, you know, I'll make an analogy uh, with what you're talking about. And that is that I remember the first time that I had to fire someone and it was really, really hard. And, um, you know, I uh, have often commented to myself and others, I hope that never gets easy. Um, and, you know, I, I think sometimes in whatever profession we're in, whether it's taking care of patients or whether it's you know, dealing with HR issues, we, we, we have the ability uh, to become numb. It's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a reflex uh, that, that helps us survive. And, and I think that's really what kind of honing in on this principle is all about. We have to, you know, we have to bring um, this, uh, th this kind of learned emotion to the forefront so that we can say, you know, if we really focus on the principle of, of empathy and, and deliver on behaviors that are associated with it, uh, it, it helps us to be sure that firing someone never becomes easy or taking care of a dying patient never becomes something that we don't become so, you know, vested in that we don't do our best job um, at, at taking care of them. And I, I think that's important because in healthcare really at the end of the day as a leader of this organization, what I, what I feel like one of my biggest jobs is, uh, is to help people feel the rewards that come from service uh, in a, in a mission-based industry, service-based industry like the one that we're in. I mean, there's no industry that's more psychologically and socially oriented uh, than healthcare. And so there are a ton of rewards that come from being a part of that. And, and my job is to help people kind of continue to rediscover and feel that every day. And I, I think empathy is really one of the key ingredients to doing that. Yeah, Jake, that's interesting. You mentioned that because, you know, as, as Mr. Little said, it, it's, it's a survival instinct. It's almost like a defense mechanism. And, you know, we, we get scarred and we get calloused. And, and, and I think, uh, I, I think, 
you know, providing us with with tools, providing us with um, support so that we could. I mean, I think we need to, you know, do a self-examination, you know, routinely. And, and I think that's why it's so important to keep hammering the these uh, principles home, you know, um, respect, humility, empathy, because without it, we, we tend to forget, you know, it's uh, it's easy to easy to um, to forget about and get calloused. Well, I, you know, I'd love to turn the tables on y'all for a second and ask you a question. You know, we, um, you, you know, we, we, I often hear uh, over my career, you know, you reflect on a, a palliative care nurse or somebody that works at our hospice house or a physician who is a, you know, maybe an oncologist, whatever the example is. And you say, boy, it takes a special person to do that. And the truth is, um, yes, it does, but they're still people. Uh, and at the end of the day, those folks need uh, support and counseling, and it and and all of those uh, all of our teams need um, uh, you know uh, training and help so that we can be resilient and and bounce back from some of those scars that you talk about, Dr. Mason. So I don't know if Dr. Lancaster, or Dr. Mason, you got thoughts on how we can best deliver kind of um, uh, support for resiliency amongst our, our, our physician teams, as we're talking about in empathetic responses. Thanks, Dr. Mason. Uh, so, you know, one of, on our other podcast, Right Care at Baptist, we do discuss resiliency and, and wellness a good bit. We've had a couple of our uh, directors of our resil resiliency program come on and talk about the importance of it and the resources we do have available uh, system-wide at Baptist for, for any provider that that may need help with with really uh, connecting on that that sort of issue. One of the things I was thinking about before and talking about how to just describe your patients in the medical record. Uh, a lot of times we will write, you know, the the forty five year old male uh, diabetic patient, whereas really it's the the patient with diabetes, and so we describe them in terms of their in terms of their illness, as opposed to a, a person with an illness, and you see this with with surgeons as well. And I'd love to get uh, HF's uh, take on it. You know, you, you talk about the case that you're going to be doing, you know, the lap coli, uh, but not the the person who you're going to be doing that uh, lap coli on. And so, um, I think having the person and the patient in the forefront of your mind, as opposed to the illness you're treating or the the surgery that you're going to be doing is probably a good step and a good way that we can bring that or a good tool that we can at least try on a daily basis to to use so we can we can think more about the patient. We have been trained, Jake, that that uh, showing any type of I don't want to say weakness, but showing anything like that is a sign of weakness. So so we are uh, we as physicians, a lot of times we are afraid to be vulnerable. You know, we're afraid to 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 speak because we think that that people will see that as a sign of weakness and and, and especially as a surgeon you know you, you have a you have a bad outcome but you know I got to get back in the operating room in an hour and I've got a new patient so I can't I can't let this you know I can't let this bad outcome affect the care that I'm going to give this, this next patient and and trying to trying to find that balance and trying to to uh, deal with that can can be difficult sometimes. Um, you know, I think um, 
you know, like I said, I was trying to think of specific resources. You know, I don't know if at a system level, do we have a, a wellness officer or do we have, you know, somebody so, like that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, probably probably not with that exact title, but we, we do have, you know, an employee assistance program that really is working hard to provide offerings, not only for, for employees and their families, but physicians as well. We have, you know, with what Dr. Sullivan and, and some of our other physicians have put together, and I'm, I'm sure you, know, you probably talked about it in, in that resilience program, uh, some additional offerings for physicians. And then we have our best health uh, program and a leader for that, uh, for that effort um, that really is focused on saying, look, we can't, we can't take good care of others if we don't take good care of ourselves first. And, and so, I, I mean, I think the answer to that is yes, but I'm, I'm really interested in continuing those kinds of dialogues, getting your perspectives and others, uh, because I, you know, we don't have all the answers. And as you said, it is really, really difficult uh, to balance all these things together. I mean, here's what I know. My goal for our organization is to differentiate ourselves from the from the other healthcare uh, peers that we have because of this empathy. I mean, in that sense, it's a brand, right? I mean, I you know, you say, well, what is Baptist brand? Well, we could we could talk about a lot of different things: great physicians, um, you know, good technology, locations, what whatever. But I mean, I, I really would like to be known for this brand of empathy, and and so when you think about what that really means as it faces our consumer. I can't get there uh, without really walking hand in hand with our physician partners um, and having them really understand and, and come to terms with what this means uh, for their uh, care and how they take care of patients as well and how we help them do it. So it, 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 it's, it's really, um, I, I think, probably the reason that more companies aren't known with that kind of brand is because of what you're saying, you know, Dr. Mason, it is a balance and an equilibrium and it's, it's not easy. Well, it's a work in progress and we, we just have to, you know, as Skip would like to, you know, we have to experiment, we have to try and, and see what works and, and, and move on, move on from there. But I do think that, that the more that physician wellness can be aligned with organizational wellness, you know, it's just going to make things that, that much better. Yeah, I agree. Jason, I know one of the examples that you gave us when the pandemic first hit that had a huge impact on me personally, and uh, make sure I set this up correctly, is when the pandemic first hit, if I remember, you went and shadowed some nurses and you put on all the uncomfortable equipment and the mask and spent like four or five hours, you know, kind of walking a mile in their shoes. Is there anything that comes to your mind that you, you remember from that uh, time and maybe what what you learned from that? Well, um, you know, you never can manage from the boardroom. Right. I mean, that's that's uh, there's there's nothing positive about that. And and um, and so having those opportunities, I, you know, I tell you, one, you just have an appreciation for what difficult jobs uh, our frontline caregivers are under uh, at this given time, and and that um, that's helpful. I mean, it's helpful for for uh, people that are sitting in positions like mine to you know we're out fighting and scrapping for PPE and and uh, and and then we're making rules and policies and and you need to understand what it feels like to wear a mask for twelve hours a day and and run from room to room, and it is it is hard. I mean, it's hard, and and I don't do it every day. Right. And and uh, 
And so you, um, you know, it, it's, I always want to be, and I, I want all of our leaders in our organization to, um, uh, to be the type of people that lead by example. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I try to never have my uh, hypocrisy meter, you know, turned up too high. And, and I think, but, but feeling what other people feel uh, is just essential uh, in this work. And so, yeah, I mean, that was a really, um, a really helpful uh, opportunity for me as we think about uh, how to not just make hollow edicts uh, that other people are going to, you know, to grumble about at the end of the day. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I think um, op opening those uh, connection vehicles, you know, every time I do a letter or a video or anything every week to um, 19,500 people, they always end the same way, you know, tell me what you think. Uh, because we need to hear that. I mean, we need to hear when we've designed a policy without the correct amount of empathy uh, that, uh, you, you know, was it Lincoln who said you can't please all the people all the time, whatever that case may be. And that's true, true enough. Um, but uh, but we certainly have to have policies that are designed around empathy, too, or else what am I doing on this podcast? Right. So one of the things that I had heard really helps uh, with developing this principle within yourself is is to read fiction, read read about how other writers kind of think about the human experience and, and understand characters and try to get into that mindset a little bit more. And I, I wanted to get your take on that, and also just ask you if is there any any book or any any uh, you know resource that you found that really helps you uh, kind of understand this topic a lot more that we could look into. Well, yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts spinning in my head when you asked that question about, um, you know, reading fiction. Um, this, I don't know if this is essentially responsive to your question, but let me try it. I'll see where I end up. Um, when uh, there was a time when I would get in front of all of our team members and uh, there was a book that was written. If, um, um, uh, if, if, so the title was something like If Disney Ran Your Hospital. I, I forget the exact title. I'm sure a lot of people have read it. It was, a, it was a common read probably 15 years ago or so. And the essential idea was this. It was written by a, a, an ex-Disney employee who got into healthcare, And he said, if, if, you know, if Disney ran your hospital, um, first of all, there, there wouldn't be employees. There would only be actors. And they wouldn't be performing a job. They would be performing a role because at the end of the day at Disney, everybody's on stage and it's always theater. Whether you're sweeping the sidewalk or you're the person wearing the Mickey Mouse head, you're always on stage. And you thought, hmm, OK, that's 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 great. I mean, as a as a, a consumer facing healthcare organization that wants everybody to have a great and magical experience like Disney, we need to get out there and be great actors and put our Mickey Mouse, uh, you know, head on and and, um, uh, you know, play our best thespian uh, so that our, our customers walk away uh, feeling magical. And I think now, you know, as we step back from that, um, a little bit of that is fiction. Um, and so, I, you know, I do think reading fiction is, is probably a fine thing to do, um, but I, I got to bring it back and say, um, at the end of the day, when we're trying to deliver on the brand of empathy, we're, we're seeking first to understand. And, you know, I, I think actors seek to connect with their audience, but I'm not sure they seek to understand 
what their audience is doing. And, and so that's a totally different skill than being on stage. Uh, it's really about more about being in the moment exactly where, you know, whoever it is, the, the we, I mean, this empathy is not about you and it's not about me, it's about we. And it's really about being right where the we moment is. Um, and oftentimes that's far away from from fiction and stage performances. And um, so anyway, I mean, that'd be that'd be a knee jerk response to your question in terms of, OK, so if the Disney book's not the not the best thing ever, what is um, I don't know. I mean, this sounds uh, th this sounds kind of hokey, but um, it may be like what I'm supposed to say in a in a in a mission organization. But I got to say it. I mean, I you know, at the end of the day, uh, our mission mirrors the threefold ministry of Christ of of healing, preaching, and teaching. And you know, so what I read more than anything is scripture, which talks about um, you know the commandment, the greatest commandment to love each other, and. Um, that's really, at the end of the day, what I think this empathetic response helps us do. Uh, we get to love on each other. Uh, and I think, you know, Jesus was pretty serious when he said it. And um, and so I like reading other things that he said about it. Absolutely. That's a great answer. And, uh, you know, I think just taking the time, I mean, y yesterday at the taking the time to ask people questions and, and you know, what's our knee jerk response when somebody asks us, hey, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. And, and we should say, no, how are you doing? Tell me how you're doing. And, and if we just take that time to listen and allow people, they, they'll tell us. And like, you know, yesterday at the end of BLDI, I loved it when, when you, you said, okay, the last thing I want you guys to do is, is on the chat box. And that chat, the chat option was very, very popular yesterday. It said, tell, tell, me, what you're th tell me what you're thankful for. And, you know, I sat there and I thought, OK, what am I going to answer? And just just the fact of writing that down in that chat box, it, it, it just has a it has an effect on you. And, and, and how much more does it when, when we're face to face with somebody and we just we give them the opportunity to to not necessarily have a catharsis, but to actually tell us how they're doing. Tell it, tell us, tell me what you're thankful for. Tell me what you're afraid of. Tell me what, uh, what you're struggling with. You know, I, I thought that, that that's very powerful. I, I think you're, I think you're right. I, um, you know, I, maybe it's helpful for just a second to say what we're not or what we're not trying to do. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not trying to make uh, everybody, a, you know, a therapist or a, you know, or to psychoanalyze, you know, uh, each other. I mean, nobody wants to, nobody wants to live that way. I don't think, no, no. Um, but you know, what you're saying, HF, I think is exactly right. You know, we, if we can kind of harness our collective energy with this ability to go a bit deeper uh, than what we might ordinarily do by just saying, Hey, how you doing? Fine. But, you know, really to go deeper and caring for, you know, for other people, it, it's, it's some of the most important work I think we can do to remain successful. So I completely sure. agree with you. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Jason, I just want to thank you as we start to come near the end of our uh, time with you. I just really want to thank you. And I know I speak on behalf of Dr. Lancaster and Dr. Mason when we say that you truly are a true leader. You know, our in the Baptist management system, we have a element called job relations. And there's a phrase in there that says that it's a simple phrase. It says leaders have followers. 
you know, bosses may not have followers. They may have people reporting to them, but they may not have followers. But leaders, by definition, have followers. And you are a true leader. Uh, I told uh, Dr. Mason early this morning when we were speaking, of all the books I've read, uh, of all of the conferences I've been, I've never seen a better demonstration of leadership than what I've seen from you and Dr. DePriest and others during this pandemic. So just on behalf of all of us, and I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you to you all. Uh, we have an amazing team, and uh, I am truly blessed to get to be um, just one small part of it. And I, I appreciate what you all do every day. And thank you for for bringing this uh, this continuous improvement vehicle to uh, to to our team. So I'm I'm grateful to get to be with you. Well, have a great day and keep on leading us. All right, thank you all. Thank you.